following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Boys and girls, sometimes your parents hurt you. They hurt you when they spank you. Now, are they spanking you because they don't love you, or are they spanking you because they love you? Or they will take you to the pediatrician for the very purpose that he's going to hurt you by giving you shots. Do they take you there because they love you? They take you there because they hate you. Or perhaps you've even had the experience when another boy or girl in the co-op or school or church had chicken pox, and your mother took you and put you in the room with them so you would get chicken pox. Does she do that because she's mean or because she loves you? You see, as parents, we all know that we hurt our children, but we hurt them for their well-being. We hurt them because we love them. Now, of course, you see the analogy. Even as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, God, a loving father, hurts us. Sometimes he hurts us very severely. But we know that he always hurts us because he loves us. And we can say that. You know, we can, we can answer that. What are we to think when those hurts seem to have no explanation? They are interminable. They are unceasing. We think of little Ellie Rogers, who for ill years now has been afflicted with disease and simply is bedridden. Or worse, think of an eight-year-old who for its entire life has been lying in a crib. Or a father of three. He's been in a coma for five years. What are we to think about these things? Why does God allow those kind of things to go on? Once he's completed his affliction, why does he not just take that person's life? Do you ever ask that question? I do. Why the interminable, irremediable suffering? Is God really a malignant puppet master? Like a child torturing a cat, just seeing all the different things that he can do with us to torture us for his own pleasure. Well, we shudder at that impious thought, although perhaps it has lurked at times in the back of our minds. Well, the passage we come to in Job brings us into a lamentation that basically is based upon this reality, the why, the why. And we'll see that it's not wrong for the believer to cry out, why? Now, this is the third part of Job's first speech. And through the speech, I want you just to note how little lights of faith begin to glimmer. And a little spark begins to grow. He began so foolishly. 
cursing the day of his conception and birth. We know that's a rhetorical device, but basically what he's saying is, I wish to God had never let me be born. And then he realized, you know, well, that's kind of foolish. So he then says, I wish I had died in infancy and had simply known the physical rest of death. But obviously that had not happened. But he comes in this third part now, and I hope one of the things you'll see is that Job's faith is glimmering here. It's beginning to kick in. He recognizes the folly, uh, the absurdity of what he has been saying. And we come now to this lamentation. And in this lamentation, God is teaching us how to express ourselves in his silence. God is teaching you and me how to express ourselves in his silence. And we'll unpack this under three headings, the intensity of the lamentation, the perplexity of the lamentation, and the instruction of the lamentation. We begin with the intense lamentation, verses 20 to 23. Why is light given to him who suffers, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but there is none, who dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who greatly rejoice and exult when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in? Now you notice as as Job now is asking why, although it's not Directly, we, we, we rightly infer that he now is speaking to God. As so many of the whys that we have in the Psalms, as the, the lament, the complaint of Psalm 88 or of our Savior upon the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's why I say what we're beginning to see now in Job is at least a, a turning his attention to the one and the one alone who can sustain him in the midst of this. His lament is expressed uh, in two questions. Uh, The first question uh, in verses 20 to 22, why is light given to him who suffers life to the bitter of soul? Uh, Light here is simply put for the light of life. This is a parallel. It's existence. Basically, why does God give continued existence? Why does God allow the one who has, at the end of his rope, has lost everything, has this very painful and curable disease, the one who sees no hope forever, the one with whom God has dealt in this fashion, why does God allow that one to continue to live? That's not a bad question, is it? It's not a thought that in itself is blasphemous. But you'll notice that the death that would be a blessing, again, is all out of proportion. Notice how he expresses uh, this putting out of life to the bitter of soul, the one who's pierced within. This is a person who longs for death, but there is none. And the longing for death is compared to the intensity of looking for hidden treasure and the joy when when it's found. 
Uh, boys and girls, I just recently read Treasure Island. I hope you've read that or get to read that. And in Treasure Island, everybody's got this one great desire, and that's to find this treasure that is on Treasure Island. And there are bad men looking for it, and there are good men looking for it, but they all are digging for treasure with a passion and rejoice with great rejoicing when they find it. Now, that is the figure that Job is using here of this person who is at wit's end, uh, who just wants to die and rejoices then at that thought of death when they find the grave. Let me ask you, is it wrong to want to die? It, it can be. But I think there are at least three scenarios where it's not wrong to die. Some won't agree with me on the first, but I think that when a believer is at a great extremity of pain or a martyr is suffering, um, burning on a cross, uh, longing for a quick death is not wrong. Now, it must be a submissive longing, not the kind of longing that Job's expressing. But Lord, if it is your will, take my life. I don't know that I can bear this any longer. I quibble with no Christian in deep pain and agony who prays that prayer. Now, there are a couple of spiritual reasons as well to uh, pray uh, to die. Paul gives us one in Romans chapter 7, and that is he is so beat up and weighted down with sin, he will say in Romans 7, 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death or this body of death? I, I wish I hated sin to that degree. <laughs> that I would recognize that, the, the, that death is the great freedom from all the struggle with sin. That's a godly desire to die. But again, in submission to the will of God. And then Paul gives another godly reason for desiring in Philippians chapter 2, and that is to be with Christ. To see him in his glory, which he prays from John 17, that we would see See him in his glory to, to commune with him. He says in 123, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. He uses really bad grammar there when he expresses the superiority of being with Christ. But it goes on, nevertheless, it's God's will, and I know it's God's will that I remain a period of time for further service in the church. So those are reasons to die, to want to die, but it must always be expressed with great moderation and submission. This is where Job's lament goes off the tracks. This is where he goes once again over the top. Although he's speaking in the third person, the question is, why would God spare the life of a person for whom there's no hope in this life? Now, that is an important spiritual question. Now, that person hopes too much for death, but why? But then notice there's a second question. Uh, in verse 23, you'll notice it begins in italics. Why is light given? Uh, the grammar is laid out with two questions. It's, this often happens in the Bible. The first part is simply assumed uh, of the second question from the first. So it's simply, why is light given? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? Job now moves from all of his physical, material, um, bodily pain and discomfort to, as we're going to see, the, 
the thing that is really plaguing him. And, and that is when God has removed himself from a person, when God has fenced that person in and removed his presence from that person. In other words, cast him off. God's cast off the person. Why let him live? God has thrown him away. That's basically what he's saying, isn't it? Uh, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden? God is, is the hidden God now. God is hidden from, from, from Job, and, and Job thinks his ways are, in a sense, hidden from God, that God has hedged him in. I remember Satan had accused God of hedging Job in by protective fence. But now he's put him in a barbed wire fence enclosure. Not a fence of protection, but an imprisonment, a, uh, a place of no escape. Why does God bring us into this position and, uh, and leave us there? No apparent movement to deliver us from it. That was, that was Job's. That was Job's situation. And that's the lament that Job expresses. And we can begin to see why his faith that expressed itself in chapters 1 and 2 falters here because it's a whole new experience for Job. He, he knew a lot about God. He knew the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God, but remember, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have what you and I have. And he is really at wit's end. And that brings us then to the perplexity of the lamentation, the last half of this paragraph, verses 24 to 26. For my groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear, or the fear that I fear, comes upon me. What I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I'm not at rest, but turmoil comes. Now, you notice that, as I said, the first four verses are questions, two sets of questions. Um, now, uh, you'll notice that verse 24 begins with the little word for. Now he's going, all right, here's the explanation, which is a perplexity. Notice now that Job moves from the third person. Uh, why are these things happening to my groaning comes at the sight of my food, my cries pour out like water. In his lamentation, he now uh, begins to set forth the, the grounds, the basis of it, and it's his perplexity. Now, there's a physical problem, yes. Uh, he has lost his appetite. A food that should satisfy or sustain him, it's simply he's, he's groaning. His cries are pouring out like water, but I don't think this is the physical problem. No, next, notice the next four. What I fear, or the fear I fear, comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Interesting statement here. Um, and some think that Job is saying that, well, always in his prosperity, he was afraid this would happen. And some of you are like that, aren't you? I mean, God's been blessing you so much, you start looking over your shoulder and, oh, what's he going to do to me next? That is wrong. He loves you. And that's not what Job is saying. I think what Job is saying, though, is that as these troubles began, he recognized they all came from God. What's left 
Is God now going to cast him off? Because God seems to be punishing him. You see, Job, and we'll get into this more in the weeks to come, Job is bought into the theology of his friends. It's, the, it's their initial health, wealth, and prosperity theologians. Seriously. They firmly believed that if you were righteous, God would bless you with everything imaginable. And if you had any difficulties in your life, it's because you were a hypocrite and a sinner. Now, Job doesn't go quite that far, but he's, why am I being punished? And you see, the punishment was the loss of the conscious presence of God. The loss of the conscious presence of God. That, that's, his, that's his perplexity, isn't it? The, the fear I fear comes upon me for what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, I'm quiet, I'm not at rest, but turmoil comes. But that turmoil was expressed. Um, God has hedged him in and hidden his way. Why? Why has God removed the presence? Why has God brought Job to this state? You know, there is, there's nothing worse than losing the presence of God. We see it in our Savior. As he hangs on the cross, in agony, crying out, my God, my God, why? Why? Why have you forsaken me? And for three hours there's silence. For three hours his soul is, is soaking in the just wrath of God for your sins and my sins. That's what hell is going to be, my friends. Not one of us here this day, regardless of how wicked any of us maybe have lived, have ever experienced the absolute absence of God's gracious presence. No sunshine, no flowers, not one sweet, kind word, not one friend, all black, all dark. And in terminal depression, it'll be worse than any depression you've ever experienced, and that's just the beginning of it. Torrents of God's wrath falling upon you. And I would say that so that even now as you're here, that you'll be sure that you are in Christ who is the only safe place to be. Only in Christ are we going to be delivered from the awful separation from God that is the epitome of the darkness of hell. Loss of God's presence is terrible. God spared me. I've not had much like that. I've not had deep, dark depression. I mean, some of you have. Some of you felt as if God had shut the doors, the windows, everything on you. You were locked into a room. You wondered where was God. You've been there. And that's an awful thing. To be bereft of the presence of God. That's what Job is expressing here. That's teaching us as we see then how we can pray in this prayer of lamentation when we find ourselves in this situation. We don't give in to it. No. We pray. Brings us then to the instruction of Job's lamentation. And first, what I've just said, what do you do? You pray. What is a lamentation? It's a prayer. You see, when Job asked God the question, that's who he is really speaking to. When the psalmist 
asked the question, and as we sang there in, in Psalm 88, as he speaks of his um, uh, dereliction, and he, um, he cries out to God, I'm shut up, I cannot go out, my eye is wasted away because of affliction. I've called upon you every day, I've spread my hands out to you. Oh, Lord, I've cried out to you for help. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. Oh, Lord, why do you reject my soul and hide your face from me? But do you notice that the psalmist is doing what? He's praying. A lament is a prayer. Now, in Job's case, it was a very weak prayer. It would be often the weakest of prayers in our case. And we have to guard ourselves that... uh, uh, the prayer lament has not fallen into a, a prayer of complaining and murmuring. But know the Psalms. They will teach you how to express this. But it's very important that you are a man, a woman, a boy, a girl of prayer. Because if you're not praying to God in the sunshine days, you will not know how to pray to God in the dark days. It'll be absolutely impossible for you. Now is the time when the sun is out in your life. Now is the time for you to cultivate the the practice of prayer, learning to depend upon and to praise and to adore God. Yes, and to express your sorrows to God, because not one of us is is free of sorrows in his life today. And so understand that to ask God why is not wrong. It is a prayer. You must do so humbly. Leads us to the second thing, and that is we must accept God's silence. We must accept God's silence. Now, he's not always silent. Oftentimes in our affliction, um, we'll recognize the correlation between uh, the particular thing for which God is spanking us, and that'll be true, and God will bring us to repentance concerning that thing. And at other times, we can see that, yes, God is actually bringing great glory to himself through this, and others are seeing uh, the work of Christ in me, and, and uh, perhaps even in those very difficult situations, the, the eight-year-old, uh, God is doing wonderful things in the lives of that family and others through their testimony, the man in the coma. Sometimes there is no rhyme or reason. God is silent. God is hidden. God has hedged you in. Let me give you some suggestions. In the first place, when you find yourself there in that locked room, first remember God is sovereign. Absolutely. Job knew that. That's why he could turn to God now. But God is sovereign. And because God's sovereign, he makes no mistakes. And we then know the glory of that hymn that we sang a couple weeks ago. Whatever my God ordains is right, his holy will abideth. I will be still whatever he doth, and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me, that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. Whatever my God ordains is right, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he hath sent. His hand can turn my griefs away. And patiently I wait his day. He's sovereign. 
But also notice that line, regardless of your sense, he will never leave you. For times, he will cast you off, as we read in our confession, by God withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness to have no light. You can hear Job in these verses, and that's God's chastening in our lives and for our sin. And so we rest in God's sovereignty. There's no safer place. But, but second, when God's silent, you need to remind yourself that no person, you or anybody else, regardless of how serious the problem is, has ever received what you or that person deserves because of sin. You see, our problem's not the extent of suffering. Our problem is our low view of the heinousness of sin in the eyes of God. Regardless of the tragedies in the lives of people, nothing in comparison to sin, nothing in comparison to hell. You'd understand that. A third thing to keep in mind in God's silence is that all this is, as we began, is out of love. Just as you your parents spank you out of love, they have you get your shots out of love, they take you to get smallpox out of uh, chicken pox out of love. What God does is always out of love. And we have no better manifestation of God's love for us, do we, than Calvary's cross? God loved you so much that he gave you his only begotten son, that if you believe in him, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. The love of Christ as he hangs on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that for you and me. The love of the Spirit who then comes and woos us and brings us into the arms of God through Christ for our salvation. God loves us. Fourth in the silence, remind yourself that God never needlessly brings affliction. Now, sometimes we as parents can mess up, get confused, and, and we can punish one of you needlessly. You didn't deserve it. Your brother or your sister did. But God doesn't make those kind of mistakes. And so everything that God does is with a loving purpose and never, in other words, you need it. And whether it's short-term or long-term, you need it. That's there. And then a fifth thing to keep in mind in God's silence, he'll never bring you to the brink. He'll never bring you to a point beyond what he has equipped you to endure. Perhaps you remember the story that Corrie Ten Boom tells when she was worrying about what she would do under uh, persecutions and various things, and she's talking to her father. She went every week with him to Amsterdam. He was the clockmaker, clockkeeper. He kept the town clock, so he went once a week to Amsterdam to make sure his timepiece was accurate. And so they're going to the train, and she's saying, Papa, what, what would I do? How, how do I know if I could, I, I could persevere? How could I stand? And, and her, her Papa said, Child, when we get on the trip, when do I give you your ticket? Right when I get on the train. He said, That's right. And God will give you your ticket of grace right when you need it. He's not going to give you grace when you don't need it. But you can be assured that he will give you exactly what you need every time. For he has promised that no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God will with the temptation bring a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
And so you see how God instructs us through Job's lamentation that we can begin to lament ourselves. We can learn how to express sorrow and stay within the boundaries that he overstepped because we have scripture he didn't have. He didn't know the end of the story, and we do. But both what scripture tells us, both what is ours in Christ. And so, learn to express yourself to God in, in intense lamentation. And you can pour out the reasons to God, as, as the psalmist does. But to do so prayerfully and, and in, uh, in submission. And do so with confidence that God is going to give you grace. You're going to come to the Lord's table. Beautiful exhibition of God's grace that he pours out upon us. And as he meets with you here uh, to give you this bread and this drink, he's basically saying, I love you and I'm going to take care of you. And even though right now you might not know I love you, you might right now be in deep, dark sorrow. That's why our catechism says that if you're Resting with assurance, and you're, you're lacking assurance of salvation, but you've been admitted to the table by the elders, don't stay away. Here's where God might bring grace and light to you, even today, as you would come to uh, into the Lord's table. And so you look at Christ. You look at Christ here and through here. You look to Christ, who is your Savior. You cling to him, and regardless then, you know that though... You are cast down and perplexed and beaten. You're not crushed because you're held in the hands of the triune God. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.